You're listening to The Private Citizen, your weekly data privacy podcast for Monday, the 6th of April, 2020. In episode 12, we're zooming in on Zoom. How do you do? My name is Fab, and I'm um, coming to you in very special circumstances. I'm recording this episode in my T4 camping bus. Um, <laughs> It's a bit of a special uh, special setup, so it might sound differently. I'm on the run currently from the quarantine police. Well, basically, I had to get out of my um, of my house um, for uh, <laughs> cleaning related reasons, and you can't go anywhere, so I can't really work. So I thought I might record, might just as well record a podcast. And um, I've already been uh, chased off uh, by the police once because I had uh, inadvertently crossed the federal state line and uh, was in violation, in violation of quarantine law. So I had to, because my number plate obviously says Hamburg, uh, they could tell that, and they had to chase me off the parking lot. Uh, but now I'm uh, in, in the woods somewhere on some, on some parking space uh, with somebody, uh, just before I started the show, somebody was st starting to eat donuts behind me. I hope they, they've, they've stopped now. Anyway, yes, so a special episode. You might be wondering why I'm um, doing this on Monday. Um, well, it has to do with... Um, it's another out-of-band release, so to speak, and um, I really wanted to dedicate the usual Wednesday episode for this week to a non-coronavirus topic. Uh, we had talked about that. Um, but then, you know, people have come up and told me to talk about things coronavirus-related, and certainly a lot of stuff has come up. So I thought I'll just do a bonus episode and well, I had to get out of my house anyway. I thought, you know, I wanted to pioneer this mobile recording studio anyway. So I'm 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 doing that now. I hope uh you all you all are okay with that. <laughs> uh before we get into the main topic, um I'm gonna have two topics this show. I'm gonna give a little um update on the situation as it unfolds on the ground. Uh with all these corona coronavirus restrictions, I can't say coronavirus anymore. Coronavirus, um, both here in Germany and also uh, internationally. And then I want to talk about Zoom because obviously we're all doing telecommuting now, and apparently everybody's using Zoom. And that company has a lot of issues, and people were like, "Fab, we want you to talk about this," so I'm doing that now. Sorry for bumping uh, my mic with me. It's not, not much better. So I picture this. I didn't want to sit in the back of the van. I have a lot of space in the back, but like this seat, um, the driver's seat is quite comfortable. So I put like a mic stand uh, in the middle uh, of the uh, of the aisle here and I'm sitting uh, in front of the steering wheel uh, trying not to actually bump the horn. Um, before we get into the main uh, topic of the show... There is some housekeeping uh, I want to talk about. I have created, um, if you listened to the show before, you know that I do this under the value for value model, which means if you get value from it, uh, I ask you to give me some back to me. And one way to do that is Patreon. And um, I have created a new Patreon tier. There was previously a $1 one, um, a $5, so $1 a month, $5 a month, and $10 a month. And um, Butterbeans contacted me and said, why don't you do a $2 Patreon tier? And I was like, you know, people want to give you a bit more money. And I was like, okay, yeah, sure. Um, I think between one and five, that's probably probably good if we have one in between that. And so I 
went ahead and created that and then I wrote about it uh, to the patrons and then um, Butterbeans came back and said no 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 this is wrong I wanted you to do two dollars per episode um, like there are other podcasts on there that do that you can do like Patreon um, you know you can charge people for the amount of content they put out and I explained to Butterbeans why I didn't want to do that but I want to explain that to you as well I think the two dollar a month tier is great um, so I'm going to leave that. Um, I don't want to charge people per episode because um, not because I might be doing less a month. I'm pretty committed, you know, to do show every Wednesday and I'll pre-produce if that, you know, or I'll, I'll catch up if I, you know, I might go on holiday. I don't know. Are we ever going to go on holiday again? <laughs> if we're ever going to go on holiday again, I might do that. So, you know, but I'm pretty much committed to that output. But I want to do more. Um, like now, for example, there's stuff happening about coronavirus and I could easily do like two episodes a week um, from the amount of stuff I have to talk about. And also then there's people who don't want episodes about coronavirus. So, you know, I want to kind of not make the main episode about it. So I'm going to do extra episodes. And I just don't want people to um, be charged then. You know, they don't know. I'm just on the whim recording an episode, put it out. I don't want them to get charged for my episode. So I think this whole support thing, you know, if you're producing the show, if you're supporting me on Patreon, I want that to be dependable for me. I mean, that's the reason why I like Patreon, because it's kind of more than the one-off thing. It's more of a, a dependable thing for me. And I also want it, want it to be dependable for you, right? I don't want to, to surprise you uh, with, with extra episodes and then, uh, you know... Uh, charge you more by the way i've just realized i should take i should take a selfie uh how i'm how i'm doing this show so i'm just wait just put the hat on to make it to make it official so i'm gonna gonna do that live live during the show this is obviously uh special uh what what i'm doing here so i wanna <laughs> i wanna I, I don't know i might might put that put a picture of my setup in the show notes so uh you realize what's, you know, you can see what's going on. Anyway, so I thought, yeah, um, but I, I still thought I'm going to I'm gonna leave the uh, two, two dollars a month thing because it seems to be, uh, people seem to like it. Um, several one dollar a month uh, producers switched to that and I think that's great. And Butterbean, of course, he went, uh, he went full out, right? He put his money where his mouth is. He went, uh, he, he took the top tier. I've renamed them. So he's now an executive executive producer. I named them kind of like the the tiers that are in the in the film production business. And um, he went, you know, he went $10 a month. So I, I appreciate that very much, Butterbeans. And you all, all of you out there, you don't have to do that. I'm not doing this here uh, to beg for money. I just want to be transparent. And as I said before, I'm I'm absolutely completely fine uh, with you uh, not doing that. I mean, I want this to be uh, a thing that's completely voluntary on your part. Um, so with that, let's get into the first topic. Um, civil liberty, liberties in Germany uh, are being completely, uh, severely, uh, severely curtailed, uh, which I can tell you just from personal experience. You know, you park on a parking space. I was just putting up my microphone in here so I had just two police guys immediately come up to my car they were just driving around there and they were like what are you doing here you have a Hamburg number plate you're not allowed to be here and I'm like I don't even realize I, I, I'm in Schleswig-Holstein they're like yeah it's like five, 50 meters over there it's Hamburg and I'm like so I can't stay here no it's not blah 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 and I'm like I'm alone in my bus I, I guess it's because you're not allowed to go out and have fun or something I, it's just 
just absolutely ridiculous. Um, currently in Germany, the right to assemble for peaceful protests, which we have in our Grundgesetz, so, so basically our constitution, uh, is completely non-existent. Um, on Sunday, there were actually several demonstrations. Um, I'm just going to get a pen in case I need to correct something here. Um, I'm actually, I have, I have the show notes printed out. It's like about 10 pages. Um, so we, uh, there were several uh, peaceful, pro you know, uh, protest actions planned, basically about the um, refugees that are stuck in Greece after Turkey opened uh, the border and now they're stuck there. Nobody wants to take them in because coronavirus and uh, whatever. Uh, also, you know, people drowning in the Mediterranean. And uh, the police in Germany completely cracked down, um, dispersed all of these uh, uh, demonstrations. I have a link to somebody compiled a, a neat uh, Twitter thread. And I'm, I'm going to link in the show notes. So uh, privatecitizen.press, as always, show notes, uh, everything in there. And um, it's abso absolutely uh, insane that they did that because these demonstrators, they were um, adhering to the social distancing rule. They were having... Uh, so they were making this a line of people, but they were over two meters apart. You know, they were all just sitting in their spot on like camping chairs and like over two meters apart, only one person. A lot of them were wearing mouth uh, masks, you know, protection, but, you know, completely cracked down. You can't, you can't protest anymore. Um, so it's basically the, the state has, has passed these rules and they are not enforcing them based on what makes sense given the current situation, right? So I was alone in my camper van, right, in a parking spot with nobody around me recording a podcast. Like, why can't I do that? Uh, I don't get that. Um, now there is uh, there is resistance now, which is which is really nice. I had a I saw a very good Twitter thread. Um, it's basically a lawyer wrote a blog post like. I've had it. I, I sent him actually sent him a link to this podcast because I was like, he was like, I've had it. I've been, you know, this is ridiculous. These restrictions have nothing to do with, with the actual intent of the law. And I'm like, that's exactly what I've been saying on this podcast. I've been ranting for like three episodes about this. Um, so he was saying like he's from Hamburg as well. So so there's there was a case where um, there were like there was like a gay couple on the street and police stopped them and were like, you're not allowed to be with two people here and they're like we live together we're a couple and then the police at first didn't believe them then they wanted their whatsapp chat history to prove that they you know look into that look at that actually that they're gay i mean who the fuck what, what who are these idiots i mean nobody you know Aside from the fact that nobody who, like, two straight guys who want to walk down the streets are not going to make up they are gay if the police stops them, right? This is not a thing that, like, in what universe do these police, do these people live? They were probably weren't even thinking. This is the problem. You get laws, you get regulations, you give them to the police and, you know, they execute them, which is their job. But then these guys are not good at, like, critical thinking, right? They're good at being ordered around which is why they're policemen and you know and then you get suggestions like this anyway he was write, writing this great blog post about this which i which I thought was great and then there's also a lawyer a medical uh medical lawyer uh beate bana who has decided to sue uh against these coronavirus related measures he's basically so um 
I don't know what the US term is. Uh, I didn't look this up in preparation, and now obviously I don't have the internet because I'm in the in the woods in the middle of nowhere, so the police doesn't find me. Um, but uh, there was uh, in Germany we have this concept of uh, we call it Rechtspflege. It means like somebody who takes care of the law. So there's this concept that that if you're a lawyer, you actually you swear like an oath. You are um, it's part of your job is to uphold the law and uh, make sure the law makes sense basically so you have this um how should i say that this is this moral responsibility to actually if you see that our laws are being passed that you know you're in the field and you're like this makes no sense you're actually um encouraged to sue and this is not this is not a lawsuit where you're like i mean she's 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 Just she wants to, she will escalate this up all the way to the Bundesverfassungsgericht, so the German Constitutional Court uh, in Karlsruhe. This is our highest, highest court of the land. It's basically our Supreme Court, and she says this is a constitutional matter. She's basically saying these restrictions do not, then they're, they're, they're not justified. Um, and so she's doing something. It's called a Normenkontrollklage. <laughs> this is so German. Um, it's basically um, you're not suing because you have a client. You're suing because. Uh, You 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 know so there there's laws existing laws and then there's policies or edicts that that are passed and you're basically saying there is now an insecurity uh, so somebody who wants to follow the law might not be sure like it I she's like basically saying I don't understand these edicts because I interpret the constitution differently um, we'll see what comes out of that um, I am. Cautiously optimistic, but I think it's a great thing that she does it. I I was waiting for somebody to do this. Basically, you have to be a lawyer. I mean, you, you can't really. It's really hard as a private, you know, as a private person. You have to pay a lawyer. Usually, this is done by like, um, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, organizations or um, you know, public organizations that have like a public interest like a trust or something you know like uh if 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 there's a situation with like journalism right then my my trade union which is also like a journalism um trade organizations they would do something like this right there so um i think it's great that she's doing it um, i think somebody had to do it i think the the bundesverfassungsgericht after all this dust has settled definitely has to look at this because precedents like we said i mean german you know Roman-based law doesn't really put so much stock in precedent precedent as like Anglo-Saxon law, um, but uh, still, it's a it's an important thing. Uh, by the way, I'm looking at the clock and it's like 50 minutes. This episode will run massively long. Um, I'm I have given up all hope to put this into an hour, so I hope you're okay with that. Um, if my my recorder can actually can actually do that long on batteries but we'll we'll see how how, how it goes um there are obviously uh, lawyers who are I, i had a twitter discussion with somebody today actually um who are of the completely different opinion they're like um so the constitution explicitly says that you can control personal liberties and it's always like you have to balance you have to weigh uh so people's personal liberty against in this case like people dying and their lives and so his point was no it's i mean there's people that die, dying in their thousands so this is obviously much more important than all of us being able to 
get to the next federal state, right? Hamburg is weird, right? I can't go, well, I guess I could go south to, uh, to Niedersachsen, but if they lower Saxony, but if they close that down too, like I'm stuck, I can just take the highway or something. <laughs> I don't know, because it's like insular, right? It's like just a, a small city. I mean, it's not like if, if I was locked in Schleswig-Holstein, I had a whole huge federal state I could go to. Hamburg, you know, I can't leave the city limits. Like it's, it's mad. Uh, anyway, so, uh, so his argument was like, okay, that's this is completely justified. Um, now, my I actually I might agree with his general um, assessment that like if you're looking at that amount of lives versus like people not about to not allowed to go out or protest, that might actually be justified. My what I think and which will have to play into this whole um, suit when it goes down, I, I feel is. Um, that depends on the assessment of the danger of this, of this disease and of, of, um, you know, um, of this, of this coronavirus. And, um, I feel like it's, it's, it's not there. I feel like it's, we're acting basically these, I mean, you know, I talked about the IFSG and how they changed that in Germany, like the infection uh, protection law and how like basically a lot of that is like written for specifically hemorrhagic fever, so like Ebola and like the pneumonic plague. Those are specifically, and then um, there are other stuff in there like influenza, but that's not where the hard measures come in that they're using now. So they basically um, elevated coronavirus from this level of the flu to the level of Ebola because there's no level in the middle, and. So if you say the flu kills uh, 0.01%, let's say, and you say coronavirus kills 0.1, then obviously that's like a 10 times increase. I understand that. But like Ebola kills 80%, right? So it's like a different thing. Obviously, you know, coronavirus infects a lot more people because it's very infectious. So the death rates are going up. But like the thing is, if you look at how many people died of this, there's lots of like other diseases that people die of in that number. Uh, routinely every year um there's you know there's, there's lots of stuff um and the que my question is like if we say okay this amount like i don't want to really cut you know tally dead people but i mean at some level it's the only way you can do this you need to kind of weigh you know how bad the situation is and i feel like if we're setting a precedent that this is gets counted at that bad then you can count like lots of things then you can go like okay so the state should should um should make it illegal to eat sweet dessert because you know you'll get fat and you'll get uh cardiovascular disease and that kills lots more people than coronavirus also like very interestingly uh, it kills pretty much like a, a huge number of people who die from coronavirus actually die off because they have an existing cardiovascular condition. Uh, so, you know, I'm just basically calling, asking where's, where's the line. And I think this is all interesting. Uh, I'm just going to move on now, but this is something I, I feel like is going to, is going to be important for this show for the next years. I'll, I'll definitely keep a close watch on that lawsuit. Um, uh, on another front here in Germany, the COVID-19 patient data is now being shared with a number of state organs. So uh, police in the federal states of Baden-Württemberg, Bremen, Lower Saxony, and Mecklenburg-Vorpommern have requested and received data about pa patients. They say it's to, quote, protect themselves. 
And so this data includes personal details, uh, home quarantine situations, the names and addresses of people who came in contact with the patient, um, the state protection officer uh, of Baden, you know, state data protection officer. We have these like for the different federal states of Baden-Württemberg is of the opinion that, quote, data like this must not be handed to the executive and that it, quote, should be deleted immediately. Um And despite the fact that this obviously seems like pretty obvious to me, clearly against the law, uh, that's what the data protection officers say. That is is their job. Um, It's being done. We have interior ministers um, in federal states here in Germany telling health officials on the city and the county level. So in Germany, we we have like three levels of government. We have, so a big city will have a council and then there will like uh, there will be like con- if you live on the countryside it'll be the county right the county will have a council and then there's the federal state and then there's the federal government and you have these uh, interior ministers of the federal states telling these local city officials to hand over names and addresses of patients to state police commissioners the federal state police commissioners and you're like what the fuck? It's none of their fucking bi- like. The, no, the police don't pro- need to protect themselves. If they, yeah, if they need protective gear, then they need protective gear. But like, what is what the f- like? You're basically or oh, somebody's sick, and now we're like telling the police, like Siri. I mean, I don't want to come with the Third Reich uh, comparison here, but it's it's obvious. It's obviously there. I mean, how can you not see it? You know, it's like in Germany, they're not allowed, the police is not allowed to, to know what um, what religion you are. We have is explicitly, I mean, we have ID cards, which is well known. And, you know, the state has all like all this information. Uh, generally, the federal states have that. But um, or, like it's 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 collected at the city, at the council level, then, you know, at the federal state and then the federal government often just don't get that information. But like even on the ID card, it doesn't it doesn't have a feel for religion because you're not allowed to. It's like the same as the, there's no feel for like, you know, what in the US they would call race, race, I would call it ethnicity. Like, you know, it doesn't say Caucasian in my in my ID card or my passport. Um because they're not allowed to get that information and to, you know, distribute that to the police. But now they can, like, distribute what kind of uh, sickness I have and how I'm being... I mean, this is not fucking Ebola. They're not going to die if they come in my house. Well, they, need to, they don't need to come in my house anyway. Jesus Christ. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. And, of course, um, next topic here, um, we have... This data collection, this is not only Germany. Um, so I want to read a, um, this is, I have, obviously I didn't have the link here. Um, so link to this will be in the show. I think it's the Financial Times. Um, there's the story, uh, which I'm just going to read from a little bit. Western governments aiming to relax restrictions on movement are turning to unprecedented surveillance to check people infected with the new coronavirus and identify those with whom they have been in contact. Governments in China, Singapore, Israel and South Korea that are already using data uh, such data credit the practice with helping slow the spread of the virus. The US and European nations which have often been more protective of citizens' data, yeah, because they're not totalitarian regimes like some of these, 
<clears throat> that was me editorializing, uh, then those countries are now looking at a similar approach using apps and cell phone data. I think that everything is gravitating towards proximity tracking, said Chris Bose, a member of Pan-European Privacy Preserving Proximity Tracing. So this is something we're going to go back to in a bit. That's called PEPPPT or PEPPT. Uh, a project that is working to create a shared system that could take upload from apps in different countries. Quote, if somebody gets sick, we know who could be infected. And instead of quarantining millions, we're quarantining 10. The U.S. federal government, working with the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, is creating a portal that will compile phone geolocation data to help authorities predict where outbreaks could next occur and determine where resources are needed, though the effort faces privacy concerns. The anonymized data from the mobile advertising industry shows which retail establishments, parks, and uh, from the mobile advertising industry, by the way, um, shows which retail establishments, parks, and other public spaces are still drawing crowds that could risk accelerating the transmission of the virus. Alphabet Inc.'s Google said Thursday it would share a portion of its huge trove of data on people's movements. Oh, isn't that nice? some coffee this is like this is hard i've got the mic boom directly in front of me give me a second to move this isn't that nice isn't oh god now i've spilled it on the show notes no <laughs> this is this is like um uncharted territory for for me for podcasting here i mean i did record a podcast once on the um a Linux Outlaws episode, I think episode 200, we did on the German Autobahn. I was driving at like 230 kilometers per hour and Dan was basically holding the microphone next to my mouse. So I guess I've done something similar before. But yeah, anyway, so we're now, Google is giving everybody their data. Isn't that nice? And everybody's involved. Uh, Massachusetts Institute of Technology researchers have developed an app to track COVID-19 patients and the people they interact with and are in talks with the federal government about its use, the Wall Street Journal has reported. Some European... Uh, some... Is it, or maybe the story was from the... Was it from the Washington Post? I don't know. Look in the show notes. I'm sorry. I didn't put the... This PDF doesn't have... Obviously, didn't can't look at the link right now. Um, private citizen press. It's all in there. Some European countries are going further, creating programs to help track individuals with their permission who have been exposed and must be quarantined. The Czech Republic, actually, we have, we have some, we have a listener in the Czech Republic, so we have some input on that later. Um, the Czech Republic and Iceland have, in, or I should say, producer really. Uh, the Czech Republic and Iceland have introduced such programs, and larger countries, including the UK, Germany, and Spain, are studying similar efforts. Hundreds of new location tracking apps are being developed and pitched to those governments, Mr. Boss said. Well, isn't that nice? It's a bonanza. U.S. authorities are able to glean data on broadband population movements from the mobile marketing industry, or on broad population movements um, from the mobile marketing industry, which, which has geographic data points on hundreds of millions of U.S. mobile devices, mainly taken from apps that users have installed on their phones. We talked about this earlier uh, on in the podcast in an episode about, you know, they... Um, because the Supreme Court has forbidden the police uh, to use uh, cell tower tracking data. Well, that was before the <laughs> the coronavirus scare. I don't know what 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 it would be like now, but because they they had that um, that court decision, 
they were they were switching to these to these apps and we talked about how how granular it is and how invasive it is um we um many tech from apps that users have installed on their phones europe's leap to collecting personal data marks a shift for the continent where companies face more legal restrictions on what data they may collect. Authorities say they have found workarounds that don't violate the European Union's General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR, which restricts how personal information can be shared. Oh, that is just great. Workarounds. European health agencies are gathering anonymized geolocation and cell tower data. Uh, I just like to you know, point out here the thing I always point out. I do not think... You can actually anonymize this kind of data, not if you have other data sources, but okay. Um, like, just look at the Snowden stuff and the stuff the NSA said about meta metadata years ago, and you will it's it's apparent how you cannot anonymize this stuff. Um, a gathering anonymized geolocation and cell tower data directly from the tel telecom companies using agreements or laws that were swiftly passed to address the coronavirus crisis. Governments in Europe are also encouraging citizens to voluntarily download tracking apps and establishing call centers to ask people for permission to track their recent whereabouts. Quote, we realize that this is an infringement of fundamental rights and freedoms. Let's not pretend it's not, said Slovak Justice Minister Maria Kolikova after her government passed a law last week allowing its public health office to collect phone data, data. Quote, in a democratic state, an interference with fundamental rights and freedoms is possible if the measure is proportionate to the purpose. End quote. Um, I like to comment on this because this has nothing to do with democracy right democracy is a process by which your citizens um decide who governs them and in a certain you know more or less abstract way uh, what kind of laws they pass and a democracy has has checks and balances to prevent the government that has been elected from passing laws that a large part of the um populist doesn't want um now this interference with fundamental rights and freedom is possible this doesn't really um have anything to do with democracy like it, it has in practice as i said before you know even in a democracy you can do basically the government can do whatever they want if the public is on their side and currently the public seems to be on their side because i feel like they've been cowed and scared by the media um but that's on a that's a whole different topic um but this is the the question here is not whether you're a democracy i feel uh the the question um is whether you have a just rule of law um i have to deploy another german term because i don't think there is an english term for this not not that concise in german we have a uh term rechtsstaat Uh, Rechtsstaat means um, it is the concept that you have a state that has laws that are just, you know, that are laws that represent the majority of the population of what the population wants. And then completely aside from that, also adhere to fundamental human laws, um, you know, from the history of Germany, uh, there might be a situation where the majority of the German public wants a certain ethnic group to be locked into prisons. Um, but 
aside from that, fundamental human rights forbid that. And that's why you have a constitution. So the question is here is not if you have a if you have a democracy, like this justice minister, it's 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 amazing to me that a justice minister like Kolikova like either she sees it and she's like deflecting it on purpose or she doesn't see it, which would be amazing for me because this is not a question of democracy. This is a question of fundamental laws that should never be changed. You know, like having a constitution. I, I don't I don't know enough about the uh, Slovak uh, situation, but, you know, in Germany, there are, we have the Grundgesetz and there are certain articles in there that can never be changed. Um, completely aside from the democratic process, no matter what you do, you cannot change these fundamental, these are fundamental human rights that when, when after the war, the constitution was created, they sat down, they said, what are the rights that we should never give up? And they can be curtailed, like one of them, as I discussed earlier on this, uh, in an earlier episode, is uh, the right to gather in public uh, to protest peacefully. And that can be curtailed, as we're seeing it right now, but you can never get completely rid of it. And yes, she's right. Uh, interference with fundamental rights and freedom is possible if the measure is proportionate to the purpose. But that's just the thing. I'm, I'm just, you know... It it makes me mad that you would say it's in a democratic state, because basically the what we're talking about here is how, um, how authoritarian the government is, and that is not like you don't have like a dictatorship and you have a democracy, you have shades of grey, you have a spectrum, and the question is on what part of the spectrum is my government currently, right? I mean the. The German Democratic Republic was called the German Democratic Republic, and they claimed they had a democratic system. But you know they were going, you know, they had elections. But in this kind of like in China, right? Um, but in practice, they only had one party, so it was a totalitarian, authoritarian state. Um, yeah, I, I'd be a lot more reassured, and I'd be, you know, as I talked to Alex in that one episode, I'm. I'm I'm down with some of these measures, but the, the problem I have is if you look into what these people are doing, they have no clue. So I started looking into this privacy-preserving proximity... Tr so the Pan-European Privacy-Preserving Proximity Tracking, PEP-PT, which is like a program and they want to establish standards. And basically what they want to do is like they, uh, they don't want to use location data, they want to use Bluetooth data from phones. So they want to figure out if your phone was next to another phone of somebody who was infected. Um, because they basically want, want to divorce the state of were you close to somebody who was infected from the information who they are because you don't really need that information, which is not a bad idea. I subject to, like, my Bluetooth on my phone is off if I'm not using it. I subject to having Bluetooth on all the time. But I guess it's a it's an idea. But then you look into this thing, and I'm... I'm pretty sure I'm going to do a future episode on this because I'm currently researching like their technical specifications and I'm going to ask some of these people from this uh PEP PT thing um I'm going to yeah, I'm going to you know ask them for for a statement and ask them some pointed questions but um I've I've just started with that today so I haven't done any deep research but I saw somebody on Twitter who's just looked at these and I'm going to link obviously in the show notes uh, who's looked at these uh, technical specifications and okay this is just some tweets so he's analyzing their technical uh, specs right 
Uh, quote, this anonymous proximity history remains encrypted on the phone. This is from the documentation. This anonymous proximity history remains encrypted on the phone of the PEPPT user and can never be viewed by anyone, not even the PEPPT user. To which this guy, I guess, is software developer says, well, one-way encryption. Next tweet, quote, when the proximity history is uploaded to the trusted server, and this is already a red flag, by the way, uh, the server can match that with proximity histories can match that with proximity histories uploaded in the past. To which our friend says, we're now back to matching never-to-be-decrypted data against other data. <laughs> Quote, all code is being monitored line by line of the code. This ensures that no unintended code or loopholes are within the CF and privacy is guaranteed. Hmm. To which our uh, software developer friend says, I mean, sure, code review is important, IMO, but it doesn't give you these guarantees. And then finally, I guess this guy works for Mozilla, right? So this is finally, quote, PEPPT will be under Mozilla open source license or similar. And he just says, ah, at the very last, you can't, could get your names right. <laughs> Obviously, this is clearly, uh, this is in English, this, this documentation, but it's clearly uh, was written by a German. Um, sounds like that. Yeah, so that's, that's what, what's going on in uh, Corona Madness today. Um, I just thought I'd give you a little update on that, and I will definitely uh, keep keep on this pepped PT thing and look into it. I mean, I'm guessing I'm okay with this if they if they make this GDPR compliant and you basically have to opt in, then I'll just don't opt in. And I mean, the mass of people, everybody who's so worried and scared, I mean, they can opt in and then they have a have a benefit from it, and I'll just not be part of it. Um that be okay with me it's just like it's already like not only this one-way encryption like if i read trusted server and documentation as already as somebody's written about it security for years um all these like scenarios pop up in my head and all these alarm bells and all these like basically if you read trusted server anywhere just you're just asking for that to be hacked and trusted means it's trusted right it means it's a single point of failure um yeah um, anyway we'll get we'll get into that in a future episode i suspect let's talk about zoom or as matster like to call it zoom zoom now butterbeans prompted this episode um he had an idea in the patreon only discord server that we have uh saying fat might as well do an entire episode on video conferencing privacy issues during these troubling times would like to know how much of my privacy I'm giving away to Zoom since I'm on it four times a day now. Uh, yeah, let's get into that. Um, also, uh, previously, months previously, Niall Donegan is also a um, prolific producer of this fine podcast, um, has been keeping us up to date on the topic in the Discord. Um, this was even... I have another Discord server which comes from my older... You know, older podcasts I used to do Geek News Radio and this is now like my Twitch it's like a lot of gaming people in there and as my Twitch uh, Discord server and he, he was in there as well and he kept uh, sending us links to to Zoom and stuff um, so with everybody being interested in this and it's being a huge topic everybody writing about it I thought um, let's let's dig into this um, I must say I learned about this company very late Uh I mean, I wrote a story, I get, I think after Niall raised this whole point, like this whole thing, like last last summer, uh, 
I'm going to mention that actual, you know, what the story was about a bit later, but I hadn't known, like I hadn't known about this company before. And I was like, everybody uses this huge in Silicon Valley. But until like, as far as I can tell, like before February of this year, nobody in Germany used that. Um, and if you look at it, it looks like Zoom has like this typical Silicon Valley startup mentality uh, when it comes to security and privacy, which is not a good thing. Uh, I mean, we can start with, I'm going to go into security first, which is because it's basically the baseline, right? If you don't have... If you don't have good security, this is why also I, I will talk about security on this podcast, not only because it is my, uh, you know, it's what I write about on a daily basis and it's kind of my bread and butter and I know a lot about IT security, but um, it's also like the basis for anything. If you want to do privacy, uh, you can't really do, like you can have all these best practices when it comes to privacy. If your servers are open, somebody can just break in, steal your data. If you're not encrypting your data, then all bets are off. So it's basically the... The basis for decent privacy is good security, and uh, as far as I can tell, Zoom hasn't either. And it's it's quite quite interesting because they they seem to not even have like developed a decent like concept even how to do a secure application at all, which is kind of remarkable because if you read into the company, the guy who founded it was like a lead engineer on Cisco WebEx, and Cisco WebEx is like that is the I knew about that. That's like the uh, meeting software that all the big companies use, like they have, you know, hardware and all this specialized stuff, right? Before everybody used Microsoft Teams, um, they used WebEx for years. And I feel like, does that does that mean like WebEx security is shit as well? Or did this guy just, you know, didn't he, did he just get, you, you think he quit because he was like, oh, it's a big company. I can do this better. I make my own program. But did he maybe, was he fired because he, he didn't have any idea about security? Um, I don't know. But let's let's get into this. So this whole thing, uh, I mean, Zoom made big waves recently when they uh, were used, uh, when I mean, Boris Johnson, uh, who is now in hospital with coronavirus, by the way, that's news from, from today, I guess, Um he used he was he was like tweeting about a cabinet meeting they were doing on video conferencing, and it turns out they used Zoom and you could see everything you could see like the meeting ID you could see everything they were doing so so it made huge splash even if people didn't know about Zoom by then people knew that and knew then definitely and they definitely knew about like security problems and um, so if you look into this it's just horrible so 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 one one data point is uh, several. I think a month or two ago uh the intercept so zoom zoom was saying uh they were doing end-to-end -end encrypted video calls and zoom does like up to 100 people i think now if you know a little bit of end-to-end -end encryption you know it's actually really hard for video conference especially if you do um with a large like if you do group like even end-to-end -end encryption for group chat is a lot harder than just for a two-person chat. That's why Signal, for example, took them quite a while to implement that. And, I mean, also with the video chat, it took them a long time. Because basically, uh, you do this, like, thing where you, like, um, you have all these participants and you have a server. And you, I mean, especially with video, you have to do all this kind of switching and calibrating on the fly. Um, most of this is, like, UDP traffic. And you have to do, oh, just uh, sorry, I'm just uh, distracted because a very nice T3 camper van, actually with a snorkel, just what's that? No, it's a T4 actually. No, cars leaving. It's a T4, 
with a snorkel and a four-wheel drive and a not unattractive woman who just gets up. But I think the car is more attractive. <laughs> anyway, sorry. See, this is where I normally do this from my office, from my home office. Um, so it's quite hard to do because you have to do all the switching and all this like calibration on the fly and all the audio and the video and the quality and the quality of service and all. And that's already hard. Now, if you all want to enter and encrypt, right? You need to end encrypt, enter and encrypt this content between all these different parties on top of that. And it's really hard. Uh, and that's why lots of video, uh, you know, conferencing things aren't enter and encrypted. Uh, for example, Skype isn't. Um, but for example, FaceTime from Apple is, which I guess is more like a, ch yeah, it's not, you know, it's not a full video conferencing solution, but you know, um, anyway, so the, uh, the Zoom was claiming they were end-to-end -end encrypted. Now, the, the, the Intercept looked into this, and it turns out, no, they're not end-to-end -end encrypted. Uh, basically, they have a setting where it tells you that, and it has like a little 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 check mark and a uh, padlock, and it says Zoom is using an end-to-end -end encrypted connection. But, quoting um, the Intercept, but when reached for comment about whether whether video meetings are actually end-to-end -end encrypted, a Zoom spokesperson wrote, currently, it is not possible to enable E2E encryption for Zoom video meetings. Zoom video meetings use a combination of TCP and UDP. TCP connections are made using TLS, and UDP connections are encrypted with AES using a key negotiated over a TLS connection. So basically what they're doing is they're doing encryption, web encryption. They're doing TLS, right? You're in the, if... If you and me, we have a video call, then my uh, data stream is encrypted from my machine to their server, and yours is encrypted uh, from your machine to their server, and then, of course, like my stuff, whatever comes from their server to you is encrypted, whatever comes to their service to me is encrypted. But you can see it unencrypted on the server, which makes it easier to do the whole switching, blah, 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 quality control bullshit stuff. Um, but that's explicitly not what end-to-end -end encryption is. I mean, end-to-end -end encryption means it's encrypted from me to you, and the service provider can't look into that. You know, which for a normal video meeting, yes, you could argue, do you really need that? But, you know, for, for a UK government, uh, you know, cabinet meeting, yes, you probably want that. Um, quote, when we use the phrase end-to-end -end in our literature, it is in reference to the connection being encrypted from Zoom endpoint to Zoom endpoint, the Zoom spokesperson wrote, apparently referring to Zoom service as endpoints, even though they sit in between clients. Quote, the content is not decrypted as it transfers across the Zoom cloud. So the networking through the networking between these machines. Um, yeah, so basically they redefined what end-to-end -end encryption means. Some, you know, there's actually some crypto messengers who tried this, and that, that's immediate. It's one of the biggest red flags you can, you can have, right? If an in infosec person sees this, it's like all the alerts, like <laughs> red alert. It's it's this is one of the what you'll never trust them ever again. Um, because I mean, you're 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 pissing off the infosec community, uh, potential hackers. You're basically telegraphing to them that you have no idea what you're talking about, or you're just bullshitting. Um, it's just bad. Like saying you do end-to-end -end encryption, and then actually redefining what end-to-end -end encryption means is like one of the biggest no-nos in IT security, as far as I'm concerned. Then, of course, uh, they had the rogue web server. 
So in the summer of 2019, this is the, what I wrote about on Heiser as well. Um, they got in trouble for their macOS installer. Um, on the Mac, if you installed Zoom, um, then there's like a web server running on your local machine. And it turns out even if you uninstall Zoom, the web server is still there. It's running all the time. It's even running if you're not running Zoom. And they did this uh, to facilitate, I guess, get through the NAT or make it easier for, you know, to initiate video calls. Um so from this, the guy who found this out originally, if you have ever installed Zoom on your computer, this web server is installed. It continues to run if you uninstall Zoom from your computer. This server also supports updating and installing new, and installing new versions of Zoom in addition to launching a call. Had the registration of the installer domain been allowed to lapse, the takeover of this domain would have allowed an attacker to host an infected version of the Zoom installer from this site, infected users who had uninstalled Zoom from their computers. So because that is running all the time, um, if somebody had like re-registered, like if they had let their domain for this installer lapse, you know, that the installer goes to, somebody could have just trojanized their installer, uh, which is what happened to this Ukrainian uh, text program which basically caused NotPetya and caused one of the biggest you know general uh, attacks on by ransomware on the economy or basically it wasn't ransomware it was fake ransomware it's, I think the consensus is that it was like state sponsored hackers sorry I need to move the mic boom a bit I need more coffee um, we've been going long I know um so, you know, the consensus is that this actually was a state-sponsored attack. This just made it look like ransomware, which still amazes me in hindsight. Pretty smart. Um, yeah, so this is like horrible. And like, why have a website? Like, this is another huge no-no. If you're developing software, like no matter why you're doing this, I mean, they were justifying themselves later on and saying, oh, we want to make it easy. Wait, what did they? So they defended this poor design decision by saying that it felt... Uh, zoom it that it felt running a local server in the background was a quote legitimate solution to a poor, poor user experience enabling our users to have seamless one click to join meetings which is our key product differentiator well that's nice but you're still causing a huge security problem right and even this is so bad so i wrote about this for heiser and later on it like turned out it was so bad that Apple went and used the uh, the the anti malware thing that's in macOS. It's kind of like um, the Windows, um, you know, that thing that runs like once every month and then just uninstalls like malware and adware and crap you don't need. They used that to uninstall this uh, installer and this web server. Um, I've just spilled coffee on the dashboard, which is suboptimal. This is a VW. You can take it, I guess. Um, yeah. So I mean, I've I've never I've never seen that happen before. Apple actually doing that. That that just tells you how pissed off they were and how how bad how bad this whole thing is. Oh God, I've got coffee running everywhere. Give me a second here. Yeah. So um, Zoom is definitely they're doing. You can tell by that that they they're doing like these 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 things that are just no nos. Like this is stuff like security people. This is things you like if you if you know what you're doing. This is things you don't do. Like and and that it didn't it didn't stop there, right? They uh, even 
a while ago, like Darren Staller on the Mac did like other shady shit. So basically it was, um, it was basically, um, okay, let me just quote this tweet. Uh, if the app is already installed, but the current user is not admin, they use a helper tool called Zoom Authentication Tool and have authentication executed with privil- the uh, authentic. Mm, sorry, again. They use a helper tool called Zoom Authentication Tool and the author- authorization execute with privileges API to spawn a password prompt identifying as a system to gain root. And this whole... Um, so a window pops up and says it's from system. You need to enter your macOS password and then they, it gets root. And it has a spelling mistake in it as well, um, which is exactly how malware does this thing on the Mac if it reads root uh, privileges, including <laughs> including the spelling mistake. This is like these guys, their installer for macOS looks like fucking malware. Like you can't make this shit up. This is this is not a company you want to trust. This is like a typical Silicon Valley startup. They're like they don't care. Um, they just you know they just want it to work. Uh, congratulations, it works. Now it's screwing everybody over. Um, next thing, of course, Zoom bombing. Um, I mean, there's there's lots of security issues. I can't even get into all of them. I have some some links in the show notes because it's just so much. Uh, but you know, there's a, there's one problem that is so well known that it's actually got a name now. It's called Zoom bombing. Um, it's like a thing. Um, it's like people figure out the meeting IDs and then crash teleconferences. And you know, depending on you know what's what's how how their disposition is, either shout, shout mean things or do like a podcast like these guys did from the Ring cameras. Uh, or they'll just, you know, show hardcore porn videos to everybody or something like that. And um, their baseline for this, the security is so bad that there's now an automated tool, like Krebs on Security wrote about this. Um, it's, uh, or I think Checkpoint originally last year uh, wrote about like how bad this meeting ID is. Like it's a, it's a nine. So each Zoom conference call, is, so this is, a new story about this. Uh, Each Zoom conference call is assigned a meeting ID that consists of 9 to 11 digits. Naturally, hackers have have figured out they can simply guess or automate the guessing of random IDs within that space of digits. Uh, Which, you know, obviously. And then there is now even a tool. Uh, It's called ZWarDial, which borrows part of its name from the old phone-based war dialing programs, I think this is from the register, that called random or sequential numbers in a given telephone number prefix to search for computer modems. Low is like, um, Trent Low is like the guy who came up with this. Uh, Low said that war dial evades Zoom's attempts to block automated meeting scans by routing the searches through multiple proxies in Tor. Um, Zoom said after... Uh, after after Checkpoint found this out last year, they were like, okay, we fixed everything. Uh, but they haven't. Um, quote, having a password enabled on the meetings, the only thing that defeats it. Now, Krebs on security, uh, uh, you know, is, uh, Brian Krebs is a well-known security uh, freelance journalist and uh, on his blog, Krebs on Security, he writes about stuff like this. And he had a look at this and um, he worked together with this guy and they basically tried this and they found lots and lots of meetings. And this thing shouldn't work if you have a password set. 
But they found lots and lots of meetings, also like at, at well-known companies, like at security and cloud companies and like a telco and shit like that, where you think like those guys, they wouldn't like disable the passwords because Zoom, um, after this, after Checkpoint wrote about it, Zoom was basically saying, well, we, um, we, we fixed this, I mean, by disabling like automatic scans which obviously uh doesn't work i mean the the tour thing gets around that i guess um but then also um they made it so that well they say uh that all meetings are password protected by default and you have to turn that off and obviously that didn't work um that there, there seems to be something wrong with this and Zoom has even uh, admitted, um, as Krebs on security says here, Zoom said it was investigating the possibility that its password by default approach may fail under certain circumstances. Quote, passwords for new meetings have been enabled by default since la late last year, unless account owners or ad ad admins opt out. We're looking into unique edge cases, <coughs> unique edge cases, uh, to determine whether under certain circumstances users unaffiliated with an account owner or administrator may not have had passwords switched on by default at the time that change was made. This is all bullshit. That shit isn't working. It's obvious. Um... They have now promised to take time off, like 90 days or something, just to fix on security and privacy and fix all of that, which I think is great. I mean, they have to do that. They're now under, you know, they, they've, they've grown from, I don't know, 10 million daily users to 200 million or something due to this whole coronavirus situation. And now, they, obviously, they have the scrutiny of the media on them, so they need to do something. But it's like... They, I mean, their their track record is horrible. They've just shown that they have like little concept of how important security is in software development, and I, this is the kind of thing where I'm like, this is a company I'm probably never trusting again uh, if I read. Not that I have ever used Zoom, but and you know, with privacy, it's pretty much the same thing. They don't seem to care about that even more uh, more i mean this is like a classic example of uh typical silicon valley modus operandi where they're basically disguise disguising an advertising company as a service provider so the register here uh, in a report uh, at the end of march zoom not only has the right to extract data from its users and their meetings it can work with google and other ad networks to turn this personal information into targeted ads that follow them across the web this personal info includes, and is not limited to, names, addresses, and any other identifying data, job titles and employers, Facebook profiles, and device specifications. Crucially, it also includes, quote, the content contained in cloud recordings and instant messages, files, whiteboards, and other stuff, uh, dot, 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 I'm just, other stuff, uh, shared while using the service. Zoom quietly rewrote, rewrote its privacy policy after the story was published to now clarify, among other things, that it does not use the contents of meetings and messages to target people with AdWords. Probably because that's also uh, would be a huge problem under the GDPR. Um, but, I mean, that, that was clearly a thing, right? I mean, the, this thing is clearly is one of these Silicon Valley things. They give you a service for free, and then they try to convert some of their users into paying subscribers. And with the rest, they just harvest as much data as they can. And then they sell that and make money somehow, you know, on those as well. 
um, there was a thing that Vice discovered where um, basically the Zoom app on iOS uh, sent analytics data to Facebook even if you didn't log in with Facebook, like even if you had nothing to do, like, you know, you didn't connect these apps in, in any way. Um, and they weren't telling people about it. Um, so uh, according to the story, um, Zoom's, pri Zoom's policy says the company may collect users, quote, Facebook profile information when you use Facebook to log in to our products or to create an account for our products, end quote but doesn't ex explicitly mention anything about sending data to Facebook as data to Facebook on Zoom users who don't have a Facebook account at all. Then another Vice story. They basically uh, reported that Zoom is also makes very dumb assumptions um, about your login uh, name. So if you use an email address uh, to sign up, they will... Um, except for, you know, some obvious like Gmail and Hotmail and other Yahoo providers, they will assume that everybody who has an email address on the same domain belongs to the same organization and should see each other, you know, full names, email address, uh, mail addresses, pictures, all that stuff, and be able to video call them. Which, okay, if you're like me, so if you contact at Fab Industries, I control Fab Industries, I'm the only one who has email accounts on Fab Industries, fine. Right, if you're on Gmail, of course, yeah. Well, it's Gmail. We're not lumping all of them together. But like, there was this user who was at a random Dutch ISP, right? Or let's say, uh, my my parents are with, or I'm as actually as well. I'm with T online, right? I don't use the email address, but I could get like a, you know, fab at probably not fab, but let's you know say Fabian Scherchel at uh, T Mobile DE. And if if Zoom doesn't have this blacklisted as an ISP, which I guess they haven't, then I can see everybody else who's in the T-Mobile has an email address from the T-Mobile domain. And we're talking about the by far largest internet service provider in Germany here with millions and millions of customers. So, like, this is like... This is, I mean, this is a publicly traded company that is huge now. And they're doing these, this programming shit like they're like a two person, person team in some like trendy office in San Francisco who doesn't know anything about software development, but they're cool and they're trendy and they've got great hats and, you know, oh God, and they've got venture, venture capitalist funding. It's just. So Zoom claims they're GDPR compliant. But I'm, you know, they have a statement to that effect. I guess they'd be under privacy shield uh, because it's a third-party country. Um, I'm not. I mean, I think they're hoping they're GDPR compliant. But like with everything we've seen, like lots of the stuff that was happening there was definitely not GDPR compliant, and you know some of that. Was, was still going on until like a month ago. I don't know if they were saying they were GDPR compliant. So I kind of question their general commitment to that. I mean, they, they might be de facto GDPR compliant, but I kind of question their understanding of um, of the importance of their users' privacy. Let, let's put it that way. Let's just have a little check here on the stopwatch. Okay, we're at the hour mark. But, you know, we're almost to the feedback. So that's actually not as long as I thought it would be. <laughs> he says, and then he waffles for 20 minutes. Um, this is getting quite, it's like 27 degrees. 
It is 27 degrees. It is like summer hot right now. I'm sweating my ass off in this. I've got the windows closed, of course, because there's people about. Um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's a typical thing. This is like software that's, you know, it's built together data. It's basically an advertising company. Um, this is, I have some, you know, some of the stories in here. Just go to private citizen or press. There's links in there. Um, like one of them is based on a blog post by Doc Souls, uh, you know, the clue train manifesto guy who basically he, he, he came up with this and they, 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 he criticized Zoom heavily and said, basically, you're an advertising company in disguise. You're one of the bad guys. You're one of the example of these Silicon Valley guys who are basically, they are suckering us with a free service and then selling all our, everything about us. Um, so do you want to use Zoom? You probably, at some point, you might not have a choice right now. Um, if your company says use use it, you know, but it's it's good to have all this information. And I mean, I've got copious links in the show notes. If you need if you need to send somebody uh, some links about why they're horrible, you should have plenty of material. Um, among some organizations, the UK Ministries of Defense, NASA and SpaceX previously have uh, banned Zoom on confidentiality grounds. Um, UK Ministry of Defense is interesting because the Prime Minister uses it, but yeah, okay. Um, I kind of feel like I, I, I don't want to use it. Um, you know, if, at least Skype, Microsoft Teams and FaceTime, you have like big companies behind that who've been big for a long time. Not like Zoom who recently came up and now they're blown up and they're, you know, kind of like... Um, a ring, which we're going to talk about it soon, I guess, uh, as well. Um, it, it feels like kind of the same story. And, you know, as much issue as I have traditionally with Microsoft as somebody who's who's named the podcast Linux Outlaws because back in the day in 2007, it seemed like Microsoft was, you know, there, there was all this stuff going around about Linux and the G, GPL being a cancer and un-American and all that. I haven't forgotten forgotten that. Uh, and I'm I'm usually critical of Apple as well. I don't believe they're, oh, we're just selling you hardware and we don't want your data. I think that's bullshit. I think they also want our data. I think they are historically really shit at doing web services and using that data. But if they were better and if they could and if they would uh, see that they make more money of that than they would of hardware, then uh, it's a no-brainer. They would switch to this business model as well. So, but that being said, Skype, um, you know, Microsoft Teams from Microsoft, FaceTime from Apple, those are huge companies. They have much more to lose. Um, they have better internal oversight. Uh, they write better code. Microsoft especially has a lot of experience with security. Um, I mean, Microsoft is the ground zero for all this malware stuff in the 90s. And they've really done an excellent job of like cleaning that up, cleaning up their response. They've established a lot of things that are taken for granted now in the um, IT security realm, you know, just the regular patching, uh, just security uh, policies inside of companies, um, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, there's definitely uh, other alternatives. You know, there's Jitsi, which is an open source tool. And the company, I guess you can pay them to use their stuff, but you can also use it yourself. It's open source, at least. Um, if you just want to talk with your family, I mean, you could use Signal. 
which has video chat, which is end-to-end -end encrypted. So there's alternatives. I would, um, I would definitely. I mean, you know, I'm I'm realistic. I think some people just will have, you know, if your friends are all there and they're all there, let's use Zoom. And then if there's six people already uh, used to using it, you won't talk them out of it. I guess let's be realistic. But I mean, you can at least think about it and you can tell other people about it. And, you know, and I wanted to give you an overview. There's definitely more stuff about Zoom. Um that one could talk about but i think this is a good this is a good first primer and uh yeah not a company i not a company whose products i would recommend let's put it that way um now having talked about zoom uh, i i feel like there is still an episode or maybe two uh to be had in discussing uh i think fadi mentioned this the first on on the show he wrote in about this like that general shift towards telecommuting in home office, I think there is general problems we have, just like with the privacy issues of these curfews and, and app tracking and stuff like that. This is like the third battleground. Um and probably something, even if even if the 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 actual corona panic goes away and all these curfew laws go away, this shift to telecommuting will not go away. I feel like the other stuff will not go away either. I'm I'm with the people saying this is the new normal now. There will there will be big changes in all our lives going forward. But you know, even with that all not happening, I'm I'm also not one of the people saying, oh, we'll have telecommuting completely now. I don't believe in that. I feel like um I mean I worked in a job where I could have telecommuted for years and you know, I had a lot of time in in meetings that were bullshit to to think about this problem. And I feel like so, you know, I, I joked about this with Alex, people people at the company at the point, at the time thought I was quitting because they didn't let me tele commute from Hamburg and I had to actually travel from Hamburg, but I was actually okay with that. Um, I was, I was dismayed at the reasons why I had to go in and that was, that was a much bigger problem for me. Like actually the commuting worked. I, for me, I could work in the train. I actually had... A lot of time there i could you know i was actually enjoying it for a while um and that wasn't but people are like oh that must be stressful like going almost six hours back and forth every day and i thought i was i would tell them and i could see in their eyes that they didn't believe it but i was like kind of telling them right look that is not look i sound like joe biden look here's the deal look um <laughs> uh that's not like that's not what's stressing me. What's stressing me is if, when I'm in the office and all the bullshit that's happening there. But to get to the point, I feel like the reason we are not telecommuting, we weren't before, and we'll we'll be we'll be telecommuting more now. Um, but I think it will go. It will swing back massively i don't think it'll this change will be as as pronounced as people think it is because there's a reason you're not telecommuting your boss wants you there he wants an ass in the chair basically because it's control um, one of the big reasons why people become managers and become high go higher up in a company and become your boss is because it's power you know they have more power over other people and they want to be there. They want to feel that power. They want to see that power. I'm not saying everybody's like this. 
Um, there's lots of, you know, I worked several, uh, several jobs, I had several bosses and the majority of them actually weren't like that. But I feel like there, there was always like a, even, even with those people, there was like a little, it's part of the thing, but I've, I've seen it around me with like other people's bosses, where it was extremely pronounced. I mean, they want people there they want to look at them and they want to feel like they want to sit back in that chair, even if they don't. I don't think they. This is nothing evil. I think this is just human nature, and I think they don't even realize it themselves. But they, you know, they will sit back in their chair at some point, and they'll look at like across their office, and they're like, they f they'll feel good because they're like, I have all these people working for me, and that's what they want. The head of the company wants to be there, come in in the morning, and sometimes they even like literally stand. I've seen this literally stand at the entrance and just stand there for like five minutes and just look at all the people going to work. And they're like, this is all mine. And that that's not evil. That's just, I think that's just how the human nature is, how it works. That's why we have governments. Um, that This is why we have the military. Um, that's why we have chain of commands. And all of that, it's, it's not as visceral and not as fulfilling if you just have like 16 people in in 16 different screens in a Zoom meeting. By the way, looking at my recorder, I realized that my re actual recorder I'm recording this in is made by the Zoom Corporation, which has nothing to do with video conferencing. They're the Zoom Corporation of Japan. Um, and they're just great. I use a Zoom H4N uh, recorder to record this. Uh, recommended. This is the thing that looks like a taser. Uh, great stuff. This, um, done a good job for years. And I put new batteries in before because the other ones were kind of flat. And I realized I could t probably talk another three hours here. Um, <laughs> and I won't. I don't. I won't do that. I promise you. Because also it's, it's getting hot in here. It's like twenty eight point three outside. Let me see. I can switch this thermometer around. It's gonna. It's gonna take a second to refresh. And I can tell you how warm it is in here. Uh, which it's it's not that. now you know it's typical. I want to I want to want to do that live on the show. It doesn't work. Oh, it's thirty six point four in here. Well, it's not as warm as outside, but it's still. Uh, it's uh, sorry. It's no, so it's much warmer. Twenty seven outside, thirty six in here. It's so warm, I can't even think. It's almost forty degrees. Well, I shouldn't complain. It's kind of like being in Australia. I kind of like it. I would actually put my hat on if I could, if I had enough space in here right now. Um, <laughs> um, I like, I, I can I can work well when it's warm. It's kind of like, isn't that like, isn't the golems and Terry Precious, that how they work? It's either they can work if it's warm or if it's cold. I think they need to be cold because they're superconduct. I don't know. Anyway. I'm just dragging this out because I'm sitting outside. Uh, well, it looks like I'm looking at the the scenery. I'm looking at the forest, and it seems nice. Anyway, I, th I think this whole topic will will be an important one going forward. All our interactions that we're moving to the digital space, where they're just much more vulnerable to being spied on in a large scale. Like you know, spying on spying digitally just scales better than spying on you in real life. Um, and so I think this is a massively important topic and I feel like there's at least going to be an episode or two 
uh, in here, not about specific software. I might do, you know, if you if you use another uh, meeting tool or something else and that has problems, by all means, like write me. Um, details are on uh, privatecitizen.press. Um, by all means. Uh, but I feel like there's also a more general episode or more than one episode in this topic. Um, but let's go back to the episode we have at hand and uh, let's talk about the feedback. So we had Jonathan MH, who uh, keeps uh, the prolific producer and keeps writing me. And uh, this time in the um, Discord chat, he prompted me to change... So if you go to the episode page right now, uh, privatecitizen.press, and click on an episode, you will see that the audio element is now wider, it's as wide as the page. And Jonathan wanted that because he wanted to make it easier to skip within the episode um, to go back to where he was listening. He said he actually listens to the show on the website. I had no idea people do this. Um, I mean, I put the audio player in there basically so if people uh, search something and they land you know search a topic and they land on the show notes then they have a you know because i mean i don't need any scripts for that it's just like an audio element right it's like a, the browser modern browsers render that and then, then you can just play the podcast right then and there to get a feel like what it sounds like you know if they want to subscribe maybe whatever um but I had no idea people would actually listen to an hour of podcast in a tab in a browser not that it's not possible it's just like I mean, I, I've I've had it so much here. Yeah, like you refresh something, it goes back. I guess that's what happens to Jonathan as well. And then he has to skip to it again. But anyway, I thought, well, you know, if he does that, well, you know, it doesn't... I didn't even actually know you could style that element. But uh, Jonathan is a web guy. So he was like, yeah, you can just do this. And I'm like, okay, why not? So I did it. So uh, if you're listening on the website uh, and you find this easier to use, you can thank Jonathan. Producer Jonathan. Then we have Fadi Mansour, also a uh, somebody who writes in a lot. Uh, comments on episode number 10. Uh, very interesting conversation. This was my talk with Alex. Uh, it was nice to hear a friendly conversation despite the difference of opinion. I'm getting, maybe I'm getting a bit dehydrated. I'm just drinking coffee. Probably not the best thing. He says, drink more coffee. Um, it was nice to hear a friendly conversation despite the difference of opinion. Well, that was kind of the idea, right? Uh, but I had to la laugh when your colleague meant, or maybe he means the different opinion to us. Like, I guess he's of my opinion. But I had to laugh when your colleague mentioned at some point, and I paraphrase, nobody will take advantage of the situation. <laughs> yeah, it's true, isn't it? People always will. I mean, if history doesn't teach us that, what does it teach us? Um, Fadi says, everybody's jumping on the COVID-19 bandwagon. Maybe I'm being too pessimistic, but I really hope that these measures will truly be temporary. What I really believe is exactly what you mentioned. This, this is setting a precedent where there's a scare some funny legislation would be implemented. And on that note, a bit of local news. Czech Republic to start smart, smart quarantine in south of Moravia. So this is Fadi mentioned before, uh, our producer from the Czech Republic. And I'm like... I don't know what the smart quarantine is, and I didn't look it up because I'm pretty sure it's horrible. It sounds horrible because in IT security, you know, when you when you look into um, 
smart home and IoT. Basically, smart means unsecure. <laughs> smart home, smart device, smart whatever means unsecure whatever. So I'm guessing this is an unsecure quarantine. Um, Fadi also had some feedback on episode 11. I applaud your suggestion to compile a guide for going off the grid but i feel better not assuming that there's a guarantee but i feel better not assuming that there's a guarantee for privacy always read quarantine for privacy i understand that this could be very limiting but there should be a cost benefit calculation and i have to say well i guess you know you could point there i mean i'm not i'm not no nothing guy like that but i, I can see where it comes from um, and I have to say, in Europe, I think it's still not a life or death situation as it could as it could be in other countries. But of course, the boundaries of civil liberties are being tested, and there should be definitely a pushback against that. So keep up the good work, stay safe, and above all, stay free. I'm, you know, back to you, man. Thanks for keep, keeping the feedback coming and writing, and it's it's great that people are actually giving me uh, stuff, and I don't feel like I have to talk into a void all the time. Um, and you know, Fadi is somebody I, uh, I I respect when he says something like this. Uh, you know, we've written back and forth a bit, and he's not originally from the Czech Republic. Um, he comes from another country, and um, you know, he's he's somebody who's who's had a hands-on experience with much worse governments, and you know, totalitarian governments, I guess one could say. And it's people like this we should listen to. Um, and this is kind of like why I'm doing this as well. I don't want to be alarmist. I would be the last guy who wants to be alarmist. I mean, God help us. I'm not alarmist at the with the fucking coronavirus. I'm just saying we are European and we assume like this is not going to go bad because, you know, we have a good government. But the thing is, you have to look at what happens in other... And we just, frankly, just look back at the history. And it's scary because like this is 2020. And if you look back at like what we had in 1918 with like the, 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 you know, the Spanish flu and you know what happened there, of course, war was involved, but still, you know, you had the, I mean, that's one of the reasons why the flu was so bad, but you know, okay. You have, you had that, you had a depression in the twenties. I mean, we're coming up this is the roaring twenties again. And with the consequences that came from that, and it's kind of like, you look at it, and as somebody who studied history, you can't think of like, wow, it's it's actually eerie how it's happening again. I mean, you'd expect that if you like read history. I mean, it's a, you know, history repeating itself is just like a, a, a trope at this point. But still, I mean, it's it's true. But it's eerie if it's just like in, a, in almost exactly a hundred years again. And I mean, we were we're gonna get a depression. Um, I'm not I'm not an econo economics guy, but I think it's pretty obvious. I mean, this. See what happened in 2008? This is much worse. This is obviously already much worse. This is going to be a bona fide depression, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, so if you also have thoughts on what I would just said here, and if you want to contact me, you can do so. Um, PrivateCitizen.press, uh, all links on there. And um, yeah, before I wrap, wrap this up, uh, just quickly, uh, as I said at the beginning of the show... Um, People listen to the show, uh, by and large, are not only listeners, they are producers, they're helping me out with input on and off the record, stuff they sent me, and some of them help me out by sending me money. And you can do that on Patreon, also with the $2 a month tier, the new one. You can send me money by PayPal as well, uh, producers at fab.industries. 
is the email address for that. Um, but as I said in the beginning as well, it's all completely optional. I want this to be your choice and you don't have to feel bad if you don't do it. I just, you know, I just keep mentioning it because they're new listeners and, you know, um, some of them might want to. I do not feel like I'm going to, I'm, I'm trying to talk you into this because also, also this is not reverse psychology, really. I'm, I really mean it. Um, I just want to, put it out there for people who want to do it and if you don't want to do it it's completely fine um that being said um because some people are doing it i like to thank everybody who's involved in this so first of all um i have to thank raul kabzali who wrote and recorded the song acoustic roots which i use as a theme for this podcast and which is really nice and then i also have to be thankful to bitemark at bitemark.co.uk who uh, free of charge provides me with a server um, and the bandwidth for all the audio files, which is very important if you're a podcaster and you're doing this in your free time on the run from the law in a van. <laughs> uh, the police wasn't around. I really, it, I, I drove like, like after they busted me the first time I drove like around for 40 minutes looking on the map, like on the satellite thing um, for something that was, remote enough but still within the uh city limits of hamburg which is hard it is a it is a major city um but i think i found a good plot spot because they haven't been around since i've been here so uh, successfully avoided the law um but yes i also have to thank all the people who gave me money and made this episode possible so without further ado uh, thanks to my patrons and everybody who sent money on PayPal. Niall Donegan, Michael Mullen Jensen, Jonathan M. Hathi, Georges Walther, Dave Kaisiers, Rashid Alimani, Butterbeans, Mark Holland, Steve Hose, Shelby Kruver, Fadi Mansour, Matt Jelliman, Joe Pozo, Vlad IKN, Dave Amrish, 1I11G, if that's some kind of code uh vitautis sadowskis ricky m drive zero and barry williams basil i made basil from down under thank you thanks all of you and um yeah i i really appreciate this a lot and you can see you know a lot of these people are also right in um so you know they're invested in the show and kind of that kind of warms my heart not that I need it at like 37 degrees right now, but still, <laughs> it is nice. And with that, uh, that's it for me. Uh, I'm signing off from my uh, VW T4 camping bus uh, on the run from the law. Um, and I, I will probably uh, have another episode for you on Wednesday. Uh, should, should all go according to plan. It, you know, it might... I'm always a bit caveating this because i will definitely re release record and release that episode it might just not happen on wednesday but i'm pretty sure it will and that will be a coronavirus free episode unless this un unlike this one um so with that i hope you're um, you're staying sane wherever you are i hope they're cr not cracking down too hard and, you know just once in a while do it like me you know aim aim to misbehave be like a you know, be a brown coat. Okay, see you soon. Stay free, stay private, and don't let the quarantine police catch you. <laughs>